0: Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kidlit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers, and anyone who loves children's books. I'm Heather Kaufman Peters. I'm the mother of one adult boy.
1: Oh, you're old. You're old.
0: <laughs> former homeschooler, a preschool teacher, and a writer.
1: And I am Marky Ozimet. I am mom to two boys. Mine are not adults in any way, shape, or form, a teenager <laughs> and a fourth grader. Uh, a former homeschooler and a writer. Oh, and a middle school? Did I say I'm a middle school teacher? No, I do so many them. things in my life that I don't even know who I am at this point. <laughs> too anyway, too I do much. a lot of things. I do a lot of things. Um, Welcome to episode sixty-three, the episode in which we get some much-needed happy endings yay. and not the dirty kind. <laughs> That's what books. we're talking about today.
0: Fun, lighthearted reads, yay!
1: Mine was definitely not lighthearted.
0: Uh oh! But really? it had a happy
1: ending, so it made it all okay. No oh, mine was okay. like, I. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Okay, okay.
0: Well, okay, so this is a funny story, because we were talking about how we needed some lighter, happier books. And I would follow KidLit411, you know, on Facebook. On Facebook, uh uh-huh. It's mostly a group of children's book writers, for those who don't know what KidLit411 is. And a woman was looking for new books in the humor sci-fi category. My jam. yeah, yes. I know, right? And she wanted them, she's you know, she, I could tell she wanted them for comps because she said she needed them like within the last three years. But she also said that every book she'd read lately was so serious and dark that she needed a break. And I was like, I, mean, I feel you,
1: I feel you, oh, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I literally have felt like that for about mm, eight months, like everything. I still get stuck. I mean, I, we've had so many dead parents. We've had so many like tragedies in all of the books that we've read that I'm like, can I just find fart jokes? Can I find fart jokes? And meanwhile, my old, my younger one and I are like, enthralled with these the claws books the claws the cat like, oh yeah or, yeah yeah the, the warlord cat books because they're so funny and they're just like a psycho killer cat I'm like <laughs> this is like we are we, we will do anything for like a lap during our story time because yeah there's just been like too much for those of you that are writing middle grade don't forget like everything doesn't have to be pain
0: We do like a laugh. Last episode, we talked about how some of those stories are so valuable and so important and have to be told and it's totally understandable that they exist. But I feel like you and I go through these phases where we'll read like one after the other, after the other, after the other, and we're like, okay, we need a break.
1: Yes, because it's balance.
0: Yes. I'm sure for every serious writer out there, there is a humor author out there too. So as parents and teachers, you need to have kind of a balance in yes. your library. And I
1: also think that um, as, a public- as publishers, you need to realize that the world is always not looking for just, yes, there's a lot of historical fiction and a lot of historical stories that need to be told that are very incredibly serious and mm-hmm. all of that. But there's also kids that are and parents that are just like maybe reluctant readers and they just need a funny story to keep them engaged mm-hmm. and just like we all need balance we need a little bit of both just like we all need to eat cauliflower rice and go low carb we also need to have birthday cake on our birthday that has full fat and full flour and all margie's of
0: looking forward to her birthday coming up in march by the way because
1: <laughs> i'm literally waiting for the cake i have not i have not had like flour in weeks and i'm well, by the time it gets here i'll be like I'm just going to put my face in this. You guys can go find <laughs> something else to do.
0: <laughs> and I have to say, I think you can learn just as much from a humor book. Get as just as much growth and development life experience from a humor book as you can from a serious book too. So, let's not discredit the lighthearted It's all group.
1: about cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we need a piece of cake to offset our low carb diet. That's all it is. Go. That's really what it comes down to. We need a steak to offset our vegan diet every so often. These are the things that we need to do. We need a binge to offset our fast. It's balance. It's
0: like the uh, the Scandinavian thing. I always talk about where um, the hygge, where you, you know, the cozy feeling and stuff. But part of what goes along with that is you also have to like go outside. So you have to be out yes. in the cold. You have to be working hard. You have to be doing all these things so that you can come in and you appreciate it more being by the fire with your book and your chocolate True, you (laughs) see
1: that's true we wouldn't under that's it maybe that's the whole point we we don't appreciate our funny cat books and fart jokes until we have a lot of dead parents and murder stories and
0: both things are important so anyway oh don't discount murder stories by the way (laughs) so we'll get to that later (laughs) okay anyway
1: you know me i'm always down for murder My kids are always like, "Mm." even my husband this weekend, he was like, do you think maybe that it's not that you're just sad because it's dark in winter that maybe you should lay off the murder shows? And I'm like, is it that or is it that you're driving me crazy and you're afraid that I'm going to use what I've learned? (laughs) It could go either way. (laughs) And it's not just me because I was out for a walk the other day with a friend who said the same thing. We were at soccer practice the other day and two moms said the same thing. Like at the end of the day, put on a little dateline and I need to relax. Why do women do this? Why are we this way? Why do we all need to see a crime scene tape with some bloody footage and Keith saying, "Well, it's a strange acquaintance that walked through the door and that voice or something. And like somehow that murder and Keith and all of the Dateline gang sort of calm us down at the end of a rough day. We are all demented. There's a problem. I
0: think there. it's because it's nice to know that somebody had a worse day than you did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It could be worse. As long as Keith Morrison isn't saying she had a smile that lit up a room, you're going to be fine. (laughs) Her smile lit up the room (laughs) until they found her body in the back bedroom. I love him so much. (laughs) Anyway, a lot of Dateline over this last week. I've been watching a lot of Dateline. (laughs) All I record is Dateline. 48 hours. And what's the other one? 2020. Anyway, I think I need therapy. <laughs> BetterHelp.com, if you'd like to sponsor us, let us know. <laughs> we could probably use it.
0: <laughs> I feel like we took a dark
1: turn. <laughs> <laughs> we always take a dark turn. That's literally who we are. <laughs> Somebody could be like, here's some beautiful bouquet of daisies. And you and I would be like, well, those are on so and so's grave.
0: <laughs> Did you steal them?
1: We always take a dark turn. All right. So, should we dig into our books? Yeah, let's get started. Okay. So after last week, I need a happy ending. And it sounds like yours is a little bit lighter. I got a happy ending, not the dirty kind, in mine, but I feel like I didn't quite sign on for all the angst that came before my happy ending. And I don't know if maybe you just have to have a lot of angst to enjoy the happy ending because I really, really did enjoy the way it wrapped up. So... Okay, good. Well, how was yours? Was yours Mine lighter? Was
0: very lighthearted. Well, if you call murder lighthearted, but well,
1: we obviously just <laughs> did. I watched it at bedtime before I mean, obviously. Was Keith Morrison in your book? Hello, children gather around. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Okay. So what's more fun than a good old-fashioned murder mystery, which is what I read and I was I had no idea that the book was a murder mystery. I was so pleasantly surprised though. I, I didn't know it was murder either. No, it's like a full-on who done it, really. And it was so much fun. So I read The Swifts, A Dictionary of
1: Scoundrels by
0: Beth Lincoln.
1: And that's brand spanking new, right?
0: Yeah. And it has fantastic art, by the way, on the cover and throughout the book by Claire Powell. So yeah, it just came out February 2023. And also it's her debut book, which wow. blows my mind, blows my mind. Okay. So I don't even know where to start with this book. It's set in England hello one of my favorite places
1: oh me too mine was too yeah i know i saw okay, that cool. i was like oh right. cool well then we didn't have to name the episode the happy ending so i wouldn't giggle like a 12 year old the whole time we sort of said like english <laughs> adventures or or happy endings with a british twist <laughs> that took a dark turn <laughs> dirty all right, all right go on i digress all
0: right okay so it's set in england it's in a magnificently sprawling house with secret passageways and hidden rooms awesome. Has fantastical characters with names like Aunt Shunfrod and Uncle Maelstrom. And (laughs) yeah, it's awesome. Basically all things that I love the most. But I kind of found myself constantly getting distracted by this book. Distracted by the amazing way that the author, Beth Lincoln, Debut novel again, just pointing that out because it's insane. Um, The way she managed to weave into the story so many lessons and learning opportunities that were completely natural to the plot and the characters... I was just totally fascinated by that. And it kept, like, kind of pulling me out because I was looking at it more like a case study almost for writers on how to, like, write for middle graders without being on the too on the nose. You know I hate on the nose. Yes,
1: yes, yes, without talking Um, down to them.
0: I felt like that with, you know, The Attack of the Black Rectangles, although that was a fantastic book, too. I felt like some of the things in that were, like, very on the nose. Like, this is a current issue. It needs to be in the book, you know? Yeah. And this book had a lot of things in it, like that book. But it was totally natural to the plot and it was did not feel like on the nose in any way. It was like so well done. So let me give you a quick summary of the book here before I go on and on and on about that. So every child born in the Swift family is given a name from the family dictionary. So some families have the family Bible. This family has the ancient family dictionary.
1: Okay, I like that a lot. Okay. I know,
0: it's awesome. Okay. I like that a lot. The parent blindly chooses a word and that becomes the child's name. And it's assumed <sighs> that the child will grow up to match the definition. Oh my some- God. I know. Some people in the family even think the dictionary almost has like this magical quality about it just because so many people grow up to be like their name. The main character of the story is Shenanigan Swift. So you already (laughs) love her, right? She's definitely living up to her name. She likes to take risks. She's uh, the roof is one of her favorite places. She likes to create mischief. She one time put moth larvae in her fashion obsessed oldest sister's wardrobe and waited for them to chew through her silk gowns. I
1: love it. Sister Brilliant. went and
0: opened the wardrobe, and all these moths like flew out. It was crazy. Um, so, at the beginning of the story, we discover that there will be a Swift family reunion that happens every ten years. So, um, this will be Shenanigans' first reunion. Um, and as part of the the ten year reunion, there is a hunt for Grand Uncle Vile's long lost treasure that is hidden somewhere on the state. So, the whole family comes together every 10 years to search for this treasure, and it's never been found. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So, shenanigan is excited to find the treasure because no one knows the house better than she does. She's even got a detailed map she's been working on of all the hiding places and hidden little tunnels and everything. And she's looking forward to meeting the extended family until one of them shoves her arch aunt Schadenfraud down the stairs. Now, she, this the arch aunt is like the matriarch of the family, right? Okay. And kills her.
1: Oh, Schadenfreude. Mm, well, there's a lot of layers there. Okay, I know, on.
0: right? So some family members think that shenanigan might be involved because her name is proof that she's always going to be a troublemaker, right? but shenanigan has kind of been starting to struggle with this predetermination of her name and she knows she's not a bad person and she begins to wonder if like nature and nurture are just holding way too much power over her and her free will so to show her family she's more than a troublemaker shenanigan follows the twisty clues to catch the killer this is like a full-on whodunit in a house where everyone's trapped there it's like clue yeah it is like clue and there's all these like crazy family members right i mean it's just goes on from there. There are three murders
1: in this book. <laughs> even better. <laughs> like
0: a full-blown British drama, right? Where oh, even like better. dying. A few of the points I wanted to discuss about the book, though. There is a lot of diversity in the characters in the book. The families from all over the world with different skin colors. Some of them speak different languages. There's some French in the book. One cousin who shenanigan and befriends who's her age is non-binary and goes oh, cool. by they and wants to change their name, even though it's really frowned upon by the whole family because dictionary determines who you are, right? Um, and then there's like an older cousin who's transgender and one who's gay. So there's just like this big group of people, right? A normal group of people. So none of the diversity though is really like the main story. It just becomes part of like this really rich tapestry the way to do it. of the That's family. The way to do it, yep. I agree. And and it's you know, it's it uh, adds to the story and it adds to the theme about knowing who you are and being true to yourself. Right? So cool. Also, etymology is like integral to this story—the history and the evolution of words. Um and there's so many big words in this book it's crazy Um, at the beginning the author includes a warning about language which is really kind of cool and she says quote the English language is big messy and argumentative languages are alive and they're voracious which means they'll grab whatever words are lying around and swallow them whole I love it I know it's so cool and I she kind of connects like the English language with like the empire and how it's like an ugly history but the language has just sucked in all these words from all over the world because of it. And she points out even that there were word changes in, in this book for the U.S. market.
1: Oh, Yeah,
0: and you get the feeling that she's not really condoning that, right? Because there are differences between the British English
1: and American English. It's so interesting. This has been like a hot topic in our house lately because we've been talking a lot in my class. One of my classes about connotation and how difficult it is for non-native speakers to grasp the connotation. And whatever we talk about my class, my husband and I end up talking about the same thing, because it obviously is a non-native speaker. It's the same, same for him. And then I don't know if you saw what's happening with the whole Roald Oh yes, They've the been reading. changing yes. his book. And yeah. then my little guy is like this massive Roald Dolphin. And he's talking about like, it's not right. Why are they changing them in England? And they're not changing them here. In the U.S., so it's so interesting. I I think it's so timely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's oh really yeah. Cool.
0: Can you imagine having a cool conversation about that with your class? I mean, it would yeah. be fascinating to really dig into the differences and if and if it matters. Like, does it hurt U.S. kids to learn how the British version of how they use words? I don't. You know. But anyway, it just all adds to this fascinating way words are treated in the book. So I think no matter what version you read, readers are going to learn new words. If you were a teacher, you could ask kiddos to write 10 new words that they learned the definition of in this book, probably more than 10, honestly, or even the opposite. 10 words that they didn't know the meaning of and have them look it up because for just as many words that are defined in the book or in context in the book, there are words that they don't even explain. So, which I love because it kind of like for an adventurous kid, then that leaves it open for them Mm -hmm. to look them up on their own. So cool. And
1: as a vocabulary teacher and a vocabulary lover, I love, 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 love everything about that.
0: And the vocabulary in this book is delicious. Oh my gosh. I mean, just the names of the characters. Amazing. That kind of brings me to the next thing though, the audience of the book. I think it might require... An advanced reader. Okay. Or, you know what though? I think actually that's probably not fair. I would say an adventurous reader. How's that? Okay. Because it's not that kids can't learn the words, right? It's just if they want to learn it, if you know, if they're open, and if they get sucked into the fun story, and then that helps them open the door to all this, all this vocabulary. I mean, that's amazing. So, and also the other thing about the audience. So this is not really a cozy murder mystery where all of the Murders happen out of scene. <laughs> oh,
1: really? It's yeah. If they they're they're there in the real action.
0: Well, okay. So you have the aunt gets pushed down the stairs. That's not in scene because, of course, it's the big question of who pushed her. There's a detective uh who gets who is killed, and that is not in scene. But it is kind of a I wouldn't say gory, but it's kind of a gross scene where his head is bashed in, oh, and the kids okay. do see that. And then because a lot of the we've talked about murder mysteries before at this for middle grade. And a lot of them don't show the murders in scene. And so that was kind of different about this book. And then there's the third one. It does happen in scene. And uh, someone takes an arrow to the chest. And that happens in front of the characters in scene. So just, you know, if you have a sensitive kid, that might bother them. But I will say it wasn't like grown up kind of gory. You know, yeah, it's still not that. You know, so I will say that. And I'm also kind of sensitive. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. I'm so sensitive. Again, even though I love my my dateline, I can't see it happening. I, no. I just need Keith Morrison to tell me about it or even yeah. like Josh Mankowitz or anybody. Just tell me what happened. But don't show me. I
0: don't like the gore, the violence. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't like anything that's even too serious, honestly. So this book didn't bother me. So, I mean, again, I think feel like it was handled in a very middle grade kind of way um it's just like a fun murder mystery and the reader gets to follow along with shenanigan and her two sisters to discover who the murderer is and it's pretty fun i mean there's a lot of crazy twisted turns so i don't know i mean i definitely think like sixth seventh eighth
1: graders okay but see here's one thing i want to jump in though on this on the reader this is something i think about a lot because a lot of times when it comes to parents selecting a book they look at the reading level and and that's the person that wants to hand the kid the book and then not check back in with them. But if you're the parent or you're a teacher that is actually, everyone loves to hear a book and everyone loves an audio. We were just talking about how much we love audio books, like have the story told to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, reading the story with your kid, uh, we Mm -hmm. tend to go, mine's not a He's a he's grown immensely like he's jumped like seven reading levels in the past year, but he's still, you know, he's still dyslexic. He still it takes it's a struggle for him uh-huh. to read. So we do it together. But I think that that's the like a story like this that has this dense vocabulary and a lot going on in it might be a great story for a, a younger audience, but maybe not uh, the reader, not not the book that you're gonna hand to a, a fifth grader and say, here, read this on your own. But as the story's really good, they say, hey, let's read this together. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to remember to do that as parents. Mm-hmm.
0: It definitely would be fun to read together, fourth, fifth grade level, even. Um, and especially because you know your child pretty well. Um, yeah. Oh, I I encourage people to read to their kids at night. Even if once, even when they can read on their own, I mean, just read a couple chapters together or, or whenever you do it, it doesn't have to be at night, but it just seems like that's a good time to do it.
1: Honestly, though, when I taught, um, at, well, whenever I've taught a, a class where, where we had time to read in class, everyone loves to hear a story read to them. And mm-hmm. my, I'll be reading with the little guy and my big one will still come in and be like, Oh, what are you guys reading? Can I just sit here and listen? And he'll listen in too. I mean, you know, people love to be read to.
0: Oh, I, I agree. And, and also with this story, I think if you read it out loud, to, you could stop and the kid would learn so mm-hmm. your child would learn so much more yeah. because you could stop and talk about the words and what they mean and what they mean in context. And yeah, I think it would be really fun to do that because you could even sit there with a dictionary And look them up. Um, in fact, this, I was just reading a study about how when you have a reason to look a word up, there's a, there's a stronger connection when you have a connection to what you're learning that you have a better, uh, chance of remembering it. So like Mm -hmm. with vocabulary and spelling words and stuff like that. If you give kids a reason to want to look them up or a reason to look in the, you know, like a game or something fun about it or like this, obviously, would be super fun to have like a little dictionary there while you're reading this book. And just if there's a word they don't know, look it up then. And it connects to the story then. So Mm -hmm. then they can maybe remember it. Yeah. It makes a trigger. They could better picture the character if it, you know, because all these characters have names that are words in a dictionary and also like better understand maybe an action that's happening. And then it's a vision, a picture in their mind. And they're going to remember that word, which and I also think that younger kids especially like to be challenged, like. My son loved names of dinosaurs. Like mm-hmm. he was just beginning to learn to read and he wouldn't read a and the on the page because he thought it was like beneath him because they weren't, they weren't. I words don't to do be,
1: articles. Thank you. Yeah,
0: they weren't words to be bothered with. They were too easy. But he would like want to read the dinosaur names and sound them out and. So, I mean, I could see where this would be a really fun challenge to
1: you for a kid. I think it sounds fantastic. It sounds like a fun book. Was it happy in the end?
0: Yes, it had a fantastic ending. It was really sweet. Perfect. So that's The Swift's A Dictionary of Scoundrels by Beth Lincoln.
1: Awesome. Awesome, Mm -hmm. awesome. And
0: what did you read then? It's also set in England.
1: It was set in England, but I wasn't happy. I found this one, but I didn't read it. And then you were like, oh, yeah, I was thinking we should read that. one." you read that one, I'll read this one. I'm like, OK, you knew you were jamming me with the historical fiction. I literally was like, she tricked me. Are you joking? She knows I don't like historical fiction. Um, but <laughs> well, this was I went on to read fiction. the murder mystery. <laughs> right, Right. You had the violence and the aggression and I had the. The murder or the historical fiction, but it actually was kind of interesting because years ago, back in the day when I was a costume designer, I had done, um, there is a, there was a play that was very popular in the, I think it was in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was called the kinder transport and kinder, the kinder transport was all about when they were evacuating children from London and it was, it was kind of set in that backdrop. So it was about one girl who kind of had her journey on the kinder transport getting um, evacuated from during World War One, excuse me, World War II. So that's what this one was about as well. So it was really easy to kind of make that connection because I thought, oh, look at that. I have done historical play. So therefore, I know this historical fiction part. Look at me go. Anyway, uh, this is called A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Alves. All right. We got that one. Okay. So I forgot the name of the book for a second there. Um, so what happens is we have William and we have Edmund and we have Anna and they are siblings. William is 12. Edmund is 11 and Anna is nine. And the whole time I'm reading this book, I just had a, a, like a little tiny Prince William in my mind because they're so like these, the characters are so proper and British. I was like, he's like in his little shorts, pants and everything. Anyway. So that's who you can envision here. So they're, they, we don't know why, but they're in the, their parents are gone. Their parents, they don't have parents. So they've been in the care of their grandmother in London. And she, you kind of get the gist. There's not a, a lot, but you get the gist that she was a very wealthy women, woman. The children have all been going to boarding school for quite some time. When they come back home for their grandmother's funeral, that's when the evacuations start to happen. When their grandmother has died, they have no one left to take care of them. So the three children, William, Edmund, and Anna are left in the care of an elderly housekeeper. And she would like to do nothing more than, than, you know, keep them, but she's very, very old. And she's about to be evacuated from the city as well because she's elderly and she can go stay with her sister. So what do we do with these kids? There's nothing, you know, we have nowhere to go. So the solicitor comes up with this, which I thought was brilliant, an absolutely brilliant plan, though they keep dogging on it in the thing about how this housekeeper keeps dogging on like how stupid this plan was. But it was brilliant because he was like, here's the deal. I'm going to cut a deal and then send you with this nearby elementary school. We're going to put you on one of the evacuation routes. You're going to go with those kids from the evacuation route getting evacuated, obviously. We're going to send you out into the country. We're going to hopefully put you in your own, you know, like get a foster family for you. And then you're going to win them over. Now, here's the thing. These people might not be thinking, oh, I can adopt three children. But then, boom, when you find yourself happy there, you're going to be like, guess what? We're loaded. And then they'll be more prone to take you in. I thought this solicitor had a brilliant plan. It also happened to be the only plan. (laughs) So that's what they had to do. So the kids Also being very sort of wealthy kids, being evacuated and going through the things to be evacuated was really, really hard on them. Like being checked for nits. They were just, you know, they they were really grossed out that anybody would ever think that they were so, you know, gross, gross and disgusting and not being clean and things like that. So they had to, they had to come down quite a few notches before they even got to their first little village stop. When they get to the village, you know, they, they start to divide them out. And the first family it's so sad. This whole thing, like they're all kind of these little sort of ragamuffins are all standing in the school and people are coming by to choose kids, choose kids, choose kids, but nobody wants three because three is too many and no one has the money, but they do come with ration packs, ration booklets, right? So they come with extra rations so that if you need them, maybe you could get some money out of the deal, which does happen to them later. But the Forrester's decide, Mrs. Forrester sees Anna and she's just Absolutely enraptured by this girl because she only has two sons, two twin boys, and they are about the same age as Edmund, the middle son, and they're about as ornery as Edmund, too. So she's like, oh, I can have a daughter. So she's like, Anna says, well, I can't go without my brothers. If you'll take my brothers, then I'll come with you. Basically, it it was it was such an uncomfortable thing to read about this. This whole section was really uncomfortable because it was very clear from the onset that this woman only wanted the little girl. And the other two were just sort of brought, brought along. Her children, Mrs. Forrester's children were absolutely horrendous. Mr. Forrester was the butcher. And we soon learned that Mr. Forrester is, um, avoiding all of the rationing because he's the butcher. He just brings home whatever he wants. So the rationing doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with him. So we got to read early on that they're yucky people. And then the Forrester boys do some really horrible things to the children. And eventually, um, they have to leave. They're not allowed to stay with the Forresters, and they, the Forresters don't want them anymore. All three of them. Next, they're sent to um, Mrs. Gallagher's house, and Mrs. Gallagher's husband—I think her husband—is gone to work, and she has at any given moment it seems like she has ninety-five children. She's got a baby and a toddler, and there's a couple more here and there. There's like children everywhere, and they have there's the kids are put in an attic that has leaks, and they're sleeping on straw beds, and they don't have any clothes, they don't have any. That she only lets them have porridge in the morning. This is watered down, and the reason that she's taken the kids in and agreed to take all three kids in is so she could use their rations. And that turns ugly fast. And then all through this, all these kids are like these. You just love them. You love them so much, and they are in just like one bad situation after the next in this little village town outside of London. They're simultaneously they're hearing the bombs. They're seeing like London getting knocked to bits. Where so they don't even know if anything is left of their home, whatever. Um, and all of this is keeps happening. And, but the one thing that's always been good for them is that Mrs. Mueller, Mrs. Mueller is the town librarian and they met her on the first day, first day there when they convinced Mrs. Forrester to get them library cards. And Mrs. Mueller, M- Mueller is this sort of wonderful, like she's just everything you need in a librarian. And she's so understanding and she helps them get books and she helps them do everything. And so when the first, after the problem with the foresters happened, they asked, like, the can we go live with Mrs. Mueller instead? And they said, no, you can't live with her because she's um, unfit. And the reason that she was unfit was because her husband was German. And he had disappeared. And they don't know, like, if he went off to be a Nazi. or. So the town had kind of shunned the town librarian. So Mrs. Mueller has been shunned by all of the townspeople. And um, everything kind of comes to a head on Christmas Eve. And that's when everything sort of explodes when the foster mother begins to abuse one of the children. Yeah. Thanks. My happy ending also had child abuse in lots of levels. Thanks so much. And it all sort of blows up from there and it takes a really dark turn, but it does have a really happy ending. And um, but even the happy ending is also horribly like you're like, it's it's so emotional before you get to the happy ending and the happy ending has a lot of fits and starts, but um, it was just such a really great book. It was a really, I I listened to a lot of it and I read a lot of it too. I kind of, I kind of danced between both of them. Um, But it was one of those books where you, it, it was just such a kind of the orphan tale. They make a lot of references to like the secret garden and the kids are such book lovers. They reference a lot of classic uh, British literature in there as well. And they, it's sort of patterned after that. And you can definitely see that it's got the same, the same vibe Oh, there's so many things. I'm gonna get all I'm getting all like sad when I think about some of the sad things that happened. But William and Edmund and Kate are very like their their sibling bond is so beautiful. And they're always saying, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could find somebody who thought we hung the moon? Like that's Aww. how you know when, and they always kept saying like, they're on this search. So like they, they first, the foresters are like, well, these people think that we hung the moon and then, uh, or will we think that they hung the moon. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second house they went to, they're like, well, there's definitely no moon hanging here. <laughs> <laughs> so they're on this, they know that they'll find the people that they will convince to become their parents and take them in and follow the solicitor's plan when they find someone who thinks they hung the moon.
0: I love that they didn't stop searching. They weren't just like, oh, this is where would they put us, so we have to stay here. How cool is that that they were Well, like- and
1: they didn't have any options. And that's what's mm-hmm. the other thing that I love so much about this book is that there's layers and layers and layers that kind of unfold as things go. But William is the caretaker, and he's 12 years old, and he is the caretaker from the get-go. And it really acknowledges that, how hard it is for a for a child parent. And how traumatic that can be for a child parent and how really all they really want and above and beyond anything else is to just have someone take that role of being the parent away from them and just letting them be the child. And that's a really big theme throughout the book, which as a former child parent, I kind of really connected with that. I really liked that part as well. Uh, it was a really wonderful book. It did come. I missed all the the important details. It came out in 2021. It kind of flew under the radar for a little bit. But when you start to look for books that have like, a, like feel-good books, it always comes up on the list of feel-good books. I beg to differ that some of it may not make you feel good. <laughs> But um, it does leave you with a very warm, fuzzy feeling at the end if you can sort of get past some of the You're like, oh, my God, this is so sad. There's a lot of sadness, but it ends really wonderfully. And the relationship is really sweet. It's definitely great for younger kids. You know, I would say a a fifth, sixth grader could definitely devour this and enjoy it. It's just a really nice story. And I think that's the best way to describe it. It's just a nice book. It's a nice story. It's a good story tale that you feel very fulfilled and satisfied and you don't have any questions left at the end. You just feel like, oh, that's exactly way everything ended the way it should end. And I think set in historical, in a, in a historical time period like that, it's even a little bit more. Some of the harder things are made more understandable. So therefore it doesn't seem as hard because you see the hard things happening to these children. But at the same time, you're also like, but it's war, but it was the war. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody's having these hard times. The thing that I loved about Mrs. Mueller, though, my favorite part about her is like, she's also kind of a homesteader. So she's like, so totally self-sufficient. She has like goats and rabbits and all these things. So she's like, got it all. Like she's kind of badass. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she's she was really cool, the town librarian who knows how to do everything because she read books about it. I love it. So, it was really great.
0: I think another one of uh, those kind of stories that was my favorite is a movie called Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Do you That's exactly it? what and I thought. That of... had yeah, <laughs> with exactly just, uh, Angela Lansbury. Yeah, Aww.
1: And Mrs. Mueller would have been played by Angela Lansbury just absolutely perfectly. ah young Angela Lansbury. Yeah, because in my mind I had her a little bit younger in this yeah. one. So. Yeah, yeah, that would have been perfect. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. I enjoyed it. It was not the light little romp that I was hoping for, but it was equally really, it was a really great book. So,
0: All right. Well, I'm glad. Well, I guess that wraps up our book chat. I read The Swifts, A Dictionary of Scoundrels by Beth Lincoln. And Margie, you read?
1: A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus.
0: All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have a bonus book chat for you. You won't want to miss it. We're back with a bonus book chat with a grown-up twist. So it's reading season. I read way more books in January and February than probably any other time of the year. Same. And, you know, Margie and I, we text, we FaceTime, we're always passing uh, grown-up book rec- recommendations as well as kids. Actually, we try to save the kids' ones for the podcast, right? We try not True, to talk yeah. about those. Yeah, until we talk on the podcast because sometimes we've, we have to spill it and call each other about a book, but usually we try to save it. So that means we, it, we have free time to talk about grown-up stuff. Grown up books, so we thought we'd let you in on some of our latest big girl books that we've been recommending to each other. So I love
1: big girl books. I think that's <laughs> that's big girl books. Hey, <laughs> I think it's really ironic, and the whole reason that we needed to do this is because. We went through like five books where I would be like, you're going to love this book. And she's like, I already read it. And I was like, you're going to love this one. And she was like, I read that one. And then she'd send one to me like, yep, read that one too. So obviously we share <laughs> We have the brain. same
0: brain. We yep. have the
1: same brain. So we're going to, sh- I thought, oh, that's perfect. We should share those books with you. So that's anyway, here's funny. the ones that we have recommended to each other or we both read. In a <laughs> in long the last,
0: text thread. Yeah. Like in the last week, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll start with, I read Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Jillian McAllister. It came out in the fall of 2022 and it's a Reese uh, Weatherspoon book club books are, are usually really good I she like her choices. yeah there's only a few where I'm like ah, eh, that doesn't sound like me but the rest of them are usually really great so funny story about this book I bought a hard copy of it and I had it in my house and a friend of mine was going to Florida for the winter she and her husband are retired and I gave her some books and she read that book in Florida and she called me up and she's like that book is so good I can't wait to talk I gotta talk to you about it and I was like oh I had to confess I hadn't read it
1: <laughs> nice
0: <laughs> because you know me I
1: you buy, books. You buy books constantly
0: <laughs> I do it's bad more than shoes it's really bad so I had to c- confess that I hadn't read it so then I got the I got it borrowed an audio version of it from my library and listened to it so we could talk about it and it is so good this story we decided it's like a mom fantasy book oh okay because, do tell so it's like a time slip story okay so it's about a woman and at the beginning of the book there is a tragic event that happens to her son and she wakes up the next day in back in time. So she keeps waking up every day from this event w- one day back in time, two days back in time, three days back in time and she as she's slipping back through time, she's in her bo- the body of that time period but it's her brain that knows everything about the future, right? Oh my god. And as she's slipping back into time, she is learning more about what was going on that led up to this tragic event. So Mm. it's like a mystery. It's like a mystery to solve. But she's doing it as she's slipping back in time.
1: Okay, this sounds good.
0: It is so Good because not only is she trying figuring out what was going on in her own life, like with her husband and her child, that she didn't even wasn't even aware of because she was a lawyer and she was working and all this stuff. So she's learning all this stuff about her life she didn't even know, but she also is sort of taking the opportunity to get it right the second time, like, oh. To do Aww. things for her son to that she didn't things, yeah. do. Now she realizes that things aren't staying sticking because she keeps waking up further, and further in the right. past. Cause she finds this scientist guy that kind of has a theory about what's happening to her. so she talks to him and, uh, and he says that maybe things will stick when she gets it to wherever fixes whatever she needs to fix to correct the future. But because of that, she's also kind of free to just do what she wished she had always done, like spend more time with her kid. Like instead of going to work, she goes, you know, and spends the day with him or she finds out more about he her son's uh, like a a really big nerd, like science nerd kind of kid. And she finds out more about what his interests are. And she finds out, it just It's just kind of fascinating. Like I said, it's like a mom fantasy because not only is she trying to fix one of the worst things that happened in her child's life, she's also getting an opportunity to be a better mom the second time around.
1: Oh, wouldn't we all? That's and fabulous.
0: She basically slips all the way back into time even before she meets her husband. And so it's so cool because you keep thinking, when is she going to? Like, she keeps forgetting more and more information. And you're like, when is she going to get to the event? Yeah. Yeah, that that led to 20 years into the future. It was so cool. And and when I when it started to get closer to what it was, I was like, Oh, it's what I thought it was. Oh, this is so cool. It was so awesome. Um, so yeah, and also there's another character that so you're in her head most of the time, but there is a secondary character who is a police officer. And you kind of don't really know where he is in the time frame of what's happening, but that's kind of part of the cool part of his story too so oh, it's just I highly recommend it wrong place wrong right, time. I'll have to check it out yeah right, by Gillian mcAllister right yeah that was it was just a really fun book and just the just as a mom, especially thinking about. What you would do differently. Because even now, you know, you look back and you think about the things you worried about at the time and how they didn't matter and how, yeah. you know, wouldn't it have been nice to just be able to be relax when you had a toddler and not worry about, oh, are they developing? Yeah. Are they doing this? Are they doing that? You know, and just kind of cherishing them more. So, like, it's just that whole part was really cool. And also just watching her. Start to when she would felt free from time and free from any kind of future consequences. How she started to worry what like her priorities shifted and she didn't care about work so much, or and you know, she did though. It was kind of weird because, like, sometimes she would still go do her job and but she it she just had like a whole different attitude about it and a, a different attitude
1: shift, yeah,
0: yeah huge perspective and also an attitude about how you know like she worried always about being nice to people and making them feel comfortable and just how that kind of went away it was just really a cool uh, thought experiment like i don't know it made me it made me really think about how i behave and yeah anyway it was pretty cool okay so let's see what's the next one what do you got
1: um, I, well, this is the one that of course I sent to you and I was like, this is so exciting. And you're like, um, I read that. So the messy lives of book people by Phaedra pa- Patrick, we both love read that. It. I'm we still, love it. don't tell me though. Cause I'm not done yet. Oh! I'm still, I'm almost done. Okay. So this, the premise of this is absolutely brilliant. And I was mm-hmm. telling my husband about this and he even, he agreed. It was like, this is so brilliant. So the main character is a housekeeper and she has, you know, a very, um, uh, let's see, a very exactly the same family as I have. It's like, she's got these sporty (laughs) kids, two sons. They're very sporty and a very sporty husband. And they got married young. She never got to be, her father died and she had to help her mother. So she never kind of got to do what she wanted to do with her life was to become a writer go to college Mm -hmm. and become a writer. Mm -hmm. But she became a really great housekeeper and she's a cleaner and she's mom and wife and all of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So her career path wasn't what she wanted, but she kind of has been making a go of it. She gets this job, as a housekeeper, house cleaner, excuse me, for her favorite writer. And she's kind of a reclusive writer and everything. And one thing leads to another and they, finally, they kind of like merge this. She, she, well, actually, let me back up towards the very beginning. She finds the last, the latest manuscript she, and she starts reading it because she's read every, all 19 books this woman has written and she absolutely loves them. And it's not very good. And she, when the, when the author asks her, she's like, well, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. And she sure she's going to lose her job because she was honest and blah blah blah. Ultimately the the author is like how about you give me some input and tell me like how to fix this since you're my biggest fan whatever. Meanwhile that author is just like a psycho, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love the author. She's like this very eccentric kind of I love her. Like whack-a-doodle. Mm-hmm. And um long story short, she dies and she leaves in her will that she, that that no one can know that she's dead and that the woman who's the cl- the main character, that's the, the cleaning lady, has to finish the book. And in six months, they can, it, for six months, no one can know she's dead and she's got to finish this book in six months to meet the deadline. And it's fabulous. I loved it so – I love this book. I love – it's really interesting. It's such a great idea, like, such a great premise that she's trying to take up this writer's life and emulate her, but also bring back the life that this character had a few books ago and also sort of learn about the writer. Like, what in the – like, she doesn't know anything about this woman Mm -hmm. because she doesn't share anything, so. Mm -hmm.
0: And also – Figure out who she really is at the same time because she's been nothing but sort of this, I don't know, I you could say frumpy, right? Kind of housewife and mom and like didn't really take herself that seriously. Right. Yeah. She's
1: just the support system for the boys. Like we sometimes happens when you live in a house full of, I saw a little too much of myself in this book. Maybe that's it.
0: Me too. <laughs> that's why I was like, frumpy. I don't want to insult both of us, but yeah, kind of. Because <laughs> you know, like
1: when you live in a house full of boys and you're like all they want to do is talk about sports, and you're like, I'd really like to just sit and read a book. And you don't really, you know, you kind of turn yourself into whatever it takes to connect with your kids. And that might not be who you are. So I think there's definitely mm-hmm. it was it's really great. I love that one. And that's I've been listening to it on an audiobook too, The Messy Lives of Book People by Phaedra Patrick. So put that one on. All right. You want to give us talk about Cersei and Achilles since we did this?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Madeline Miller is like my new, I don't even know what to say. I would totally stalk her in a heartbeat. Well,
1: you know she's from Philadelphia.
0: Is she really? Okay. I don't know that much about her. So Cersei came out in 2020, I think?
1: No, it was before that because I read it before that.
0: Oh, Okay. Oh, Maybe 19, 2019 maybe.
1: I think so because I, I read it, yeah, right before the pandemic.
0: Oh, you did. Okay. Because
1: I read it at yeah.
0: work. <laughs> His Song of Ach- Achilles has been out for quite a while.
1: That's yeah, it was the one. first one. It yeah. was the first one, yeah. But I actually read Cersei first. Which did you read first?
0: I read Song of Achilles first, okay. and then I read Cersei. And Song of Achilles was so beautiful. I was like, oh "Where's God, Cersei? Right? I got to have it now!" And I was glad that it was already out. So, but then of course Cersei is like, "Oh, it's like the gods it's are singing." So good. Yeah, it's it is so good. The most beautiful. Both of them are the most beautifully written books I've ever. I, I come across. I mean, I don't even
1: know what to say about it. It's well, like and she's so... a, 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 a Greek mythology scholar. Yes. Yeah, and, that's and you can what, tell. And you can see it yeah, like in every tell. inch of the book.
0: It's really written like it was almost written at that time. It's mm-hmm. like she is a genius yeah. when it comes and and it's like so. um The language is so concise and compact. Yeah, that, like the journalist in me was just like loving all of it because she could. could describe things in such a short amount of you know short words and short amount of time space it's just beautiful so beautiful so it's
1: a story of Cersei I mean I don't know what else to say about it well tell Ooh. tell people who Cersei is because okay. not everyone's as nerdy as us okay. we're really nerdy <laughs> let's be honest
0: well you know and I love anything related to witches and of course Cersei is
1: She's from the Odyssey. Well, that's where we met her. I mean, she actually yeah. has her own life before. But most people we know are from the Odyssey,
0: yeah. And she's, she's an enchantress, and she's like considered a minor goddess, basically in Greek mythology. And, and she's the one
1: who turned Odysseus's men into yes, pigs and that is why I love her. I always loved her in the Odyssey because I was like, I like that. I love the fact that you turn them into pigs. That's really that that's all Ugh. I need to say on the matter. And but this is like her whole life story. Right. So book. they plucked yeah. So she literally plucked Cersei's tail out of the Odyssey yeah. and gave you the full backstory and beyond, which I mean, brilliant.
0: She's like the ultimate like crone living in the forest in a little cabin. I mean, yes. I, like she's just like what i want to be like i don't even know how to do- yeah so um yeah and of course she's a goddess so she has powers and she but she also interacts with humans a lot a lot more than mm-hmm. maybe some of the other gods do and it's basically like i don't want to just whittle it down to a love story but like song of achilles was or achilles was basically was a love definitely story. a love story yeah and seriously really is a love story too but it's also kind of like um a story about her becoming who she was going to become. Like her love story is sort of the ending of her story yes. in a way, because yeah. it's more about her becoming over the centuries who she needed to become and and growing into herself. And then that's when her love story starts, which I yeah. thought was so beautiful and so true because it's hard to find your true love if you don't know who you are and yeah and, and what you want and and yeah so she you know went through ups and downs of being sort of like kind of bad yeah kind of i don't know evil mean, like manipulative yeah. yeah creating horrible monsters that kill people and stuff like that so yeah she was went through a lot of stages and uh But uh, but yeah, it's such a great book, and I listened to it. I listened to both, and it's just they're it's beautiful. But I kind of want to get Cersei in print form now because I just want to go back and look at the sentences and just like admire them and
1: that you know break it down. And even if you're not like a giant nerd like us, and you're not like a really big um, mythological nerd, because I really wasn't when I read this, it probably piqued my interest more having read both of them, they're really good stories. And I I have to say, I learned so much in both of these books, especially Achilles, but I learned so much. And it did make me actually, reading Circe, I went back and read the Odyssey. And then I started teaching the Odyssey because I'm like, I forgot how good that is. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of, because... I feel like the Odyssey is one of those things that they make you read in seventh grade where you're like, oh, wah, wah, wah. what are these words? It's kind of like when you read Shakespeare in high school, and you have no idea what it's talking about, nor do you care. You Who cares? It's like, I don't understand the words. Tell me what the answer is and when do I have to write the paper on it? I felt like the same thing was true for the Odyssey. Going back and looking at it after reading Circe, I was like, oh, God, this is so rich. Yeah, it's so good. So, yeah, so good. I have
0: to say, because uh, another friend had recommended these books to me and she's like very cerebral. And I was kind of nervous. I thought, oh, this is yeah, probably like, going to be <laughs> too I'm heavy. Not smart <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's exactly. I'm like, I don't know if I'm smart enough to read these books. They're going to be too heavy. And I just was blown away by how beautifully written they are, how attainable they are. You know, like yeah,
1: digestible, too. Di- yeah, yeah,
0: digestible they are. Yes,
1: 100%. And they made the characters so real so real yeah I agree yeah check those out check those out so okay I have another one and I don't think you've gotten on this one yet so this is the one that we haven't shared this was the one I first when I sent you it started my whole my whole our whole text thread this is called local woman missing by Mary uh, Kubica and I so so my one of my aunts and a bunch of cousins we're all like my grandmother was a huge avid reader and all of us ended up with this I mean all of the granddaughters all of her daughters were all big readers so we kind of have this like family thread sometimes that is going because we all like books. All of my cousins have read the same book. And my, so we all recommended this to my aunt. So it's called Local Woman Missing. And it starts with a local woman missing. And then there's another local woman missing. And then it's constantly going back and forth. this woman and her daughter go missing. The first, one, The first one woman goes missing, then this woman and her daughter go missing. And they're linked. And it starts ten years. It kind of it happens. and then you jump ahead eleven years. And then you jump back and the child appears. and you have to this child has been has been kidnapped and has been living in these people's basement have been held hostage in these people's basement for 12, 12 years, eleven years. And it's all told in, so it just keeps changing perspective. It's four different perspectives, Mm -hmm. each chapter or five different perspectives. It comes from a different person's perspective. That's kind of wrapped up in the second case, not so much the first case. We get a little bit about the first woman that goes missing, but it's a lot about the second woman that goes missing and the child. And they are all intertwined. And the way that it intertwines, you're literally, I... I'm not even. I would. I listened to this one because I found this book and I'm like, oh, this looks fascinating. I want to listen to it while I clean because that's what I like to do. And I could not stop. I was get, laying in bed with my AirPod in, and my husband is like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I just, just one more chapter. I got. To, I've got to know. How did this kid get there? How did this kid get out? I mean, it is so good. It is so good. Now, I, I have done a couple other. Books by her, which are also really good, but this is by far the best. Local Woman Missing is one of her latest ones by Mary Kubica, and it is so good. It's definitely one of those twisty, turny thrillers, but it doesn't have. And I, it's funny because I teach an a, an adult class of women uh, ESL learners, and I'm they're always asking for book suggestions, and I'm now I've got them all on this book too because <laughs> it's so interesting. There's there's violence, but it doesn't really happen in the. It you know, like you kind of happen upon it, so it's not like. Harsh and 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 violent or anything like that in the um. There's not sex. There's not like you know what I mean. It's just a really old school good thriller, like one of those like oh my god, how did that happen? And you just can't wait. And you try so. I love a good book where you're trying so hard to solve the mystery before you get to the solution, and you can't. You can't figure it out. You never would have put this all together. That's a really good one. That's it's, a re- awesome. it's very well done. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm a new Mary Kubica fan. So. <laughs> And that's it. So we've shared a lot of books lately. All right.
0: So that wraps up this episode of Two Lit Mamas. It was such a pleasure to give you some happily ever after middle grade books and a few uh, big girl books that that's you can such check a out. better
1: way to say it. Why did I not <laughs> figure out to say happily ever after instead of kept calling it freaking happy endings? Oh, my God. I'm so 12. I am 12.
0: That's right. That's why we have a middle grade podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Happy endings, not those kind.
0: Okay, <laughs> all yeah. right, uh, Margie, what are we reading next?
1: Well, this is you. Um, you know when people get old, they go crazy, and those people are <laughs> the ones that sit outside and they look at birds. And apparently, that's you because you have decided that we should read two bird books for our next episode. Two bird books. So Heather, the crazy old lady with her binoculars, who likes to sit outside and watch birds, has decided that we should be reading. Sorry, I will be reading The Simple Art of Flying by Corey Leonardo, and she will be reading Coup by Kayla Noel.
0: And then I'm going to go to the park and feed the pigeons.
1: You're already <laughs> there. I mean, you're so old. Okay. So, yeah, so we'll be reading a bird-inspired episode. of. of
0: <laughs> I got to keep week. it interesting somehow. I mean, go on.
1: <laughs> and she mocks my fart jokes, but all right. <laughs> That's what we're reading. (laughs) Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. All right.
0: If you like what you've heard, which you you probably should at this point,
1: (laughs) leave us a review and share us. We'll love you forever. And if you read one of our books, let us know. Like one of the books that we've talked about, either big girl books or middle grade books, let us know. Let us know what you thought. Send us a message on uh, Facebook, on Tulip Mamas on Facebook or on to Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram or on our website, www2 And let us know what you thought. If you like us, if you agree, if you disagree, we'll try to be nice. If yeah, you agree with fun. us a lot, we'll send you Franzia.
0: Yeah, we can have a little discussion. it be kind of fun. All right. And if you want to join us twice a month for our kidlit discussions where you can just hear us and not necessarily interact with us,
1: <laughs> which might
0: be safer.
1: especially if you see Heather and the birds
0: (laughs) please subscribe to the Tulip Mamas podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts thanks for listening Bye. bye